Last Sunday morning, as we got up to speak in Terra Nova Community Church in Delaware, Ohio, we were aware that we were getting up to speak on the morning that we celebrated the 18th birthday of the Good Friday Agreement. It had come of age. And last Sunday morning in Delaware, Ohio, moving on into the sermon, um, uh, I was asked to speak about John chapter 10, verse 11. Come on. How wrong could they get that with Stockman? Um, but before that, I realized we traveled one day for nine hours and on the road. We traveled 23 hours or 21 hours to get there, I think. And the thing that exhausted us most was trying to get a plate of food. Have you ever tried to get a plate of food in America? It seems all written up there. But when you go to the counter, would you like that with me? Three sauces you've never heard of. Five vegetables you've never heard of. Three sides that aren't on the thing in front of you. And by the time you've got to the end of all their ordering, you're thinking, I, what did I order in the first place? And it got even worse now because at the airport you do it on an iPad. So there were people standing, but we had to press into the iPad. And then the people standing saw it on the iPad on the other side and started moving. Except the ones we couldn't see because they were behind us. And then we had to pay somewhere food. So last Sunday morning they gave me John 10 and verse 11 and I got up and said... Now, you've asked me to speak about the Good Shepherd this morning from John chapter 10 and verse 11. Now, would you like that with uh, Peterson and T. Wright or Walter Brueggemann? Would you like it with the Psalms, the Proverbs, or uh, the Prophets? Would you like it with Snow Patrol, U2, or REM? And I suppose I say all that in the introduction this morning because you're getting a little bit of a stew of all kinds of things that I'm going to try and share with you today, based on actually the sermon that Martin and I preached uh, last Sunday morning from John 10, 11, because that was the series that the congregation in Terra Nova were doing. They were looking at hurting people last week. They're looking at wandering people this week, hurting people, and they were looking at the Good Shepherd and how the Good Shepherd helps with hurting people. And then, as I said, um, the lectionary reading this week was also from later on in John chapter 10. But I want to start it with the very last words that were spoken on our trip. We'd got to the end of our uh, seminar um, in Calvin College. And um, it was on, because I go to Calvin and usually talk about music, it was on Songs of Peace. But, well, there's a very funny poster um, that you should try and check on my Facebook page of how they described it. They said, a Presbyterian minister and a priest walk into a bar um, to talk about reconciliation and then we looked at peace songs the festival four corners and peace and reconciliation we've been doing that for 10 days and what we've discovered is that our story uh, the northern ireland story in america is no longer because oh, not lovely that those wee leprechauns are talking to each other again or about green beer it's now resonating really really deeply with an American population. Because as somebody described to us, this is the most polarized that America has ever been. Now, I think if we have a few people talking about history, there may have been other times over a century, maybe a century, two centuries ago when America was polarized. But if you look at red-blue, Democrat-Republican, then it's very polarized. The Republican conventions in Cleveland coming up soon they're not only expecting it to be violent, but most people we talked to said there will be deaths. 
Then you look at the black-white, you look at the rich-poor, and you find that as we talk about our peace and reconciliation stuff, that they are listening more than they've ever listened because it's now coming close to home. So we were sharing that for about eight or nine days. And then the very last moment, and I didn't even notice her because there was two very big white people in front of her, right at the back of the seminar, this little girl put her hand up and kind of reached around the crowd. And I saw for the first time that in Calvin, here was an African-American girl sitting in our... I didn't see it before it. And she put her hand up and she said, the last question, the very last thing we heard in our time. She said, what happens when they're tear gassing you and 50 years have not worked? When do you start to fight back? 50 years being the civil rights movement. The civil rights movement, in her opinion, having changed nothing. And they're still tear gassing black people. And the statistics on crime and all of that among a black population is obscene. And this little girl at Calvin College, a student there, was asking, when do you fight back? And it was, oh. Because I guess for us, selfishly, let's give us a reason to be here. And this is exactly why we were here, because this is being voiced what we've been talking about the entire time. And you know, as Kai spoke, it wasn't angry. It definitely was frustration. But more than anything else, the hurt was tangible in her voice. And she was a courageous girl to say what she said at that moment in time. The hurt of being part of a people who are still being tear-gassed, as she called or described it in the question, and that nothing seems to have changed in 50 years. The hurt. Last Sunday morning, and actually it was only on the flight over, I think, that it fully became apparent to Father Martin. He was reading a book about the Shankill Butchers. And I think he would say to you, probably don't even go there the graphic detail of the book but as he was reading it on the plane he was I could hear him going oh, and I would say and he would say they were in mass yesterday and he took us round last Sunday morning his congregation the mass that he did the Saturday before and he talked about Paddy who'd been shot and had been in pain and can't really walk and he told us about John, who had been a member probably of a paramilitary group and how his depression and the darkness of his depression probably comes out of what he saw and maybe even did. And he talked about Ellen. And he read a passage in Terra Nova from the book, I think it's Matt Dillon's book in the Shankill Butchers, that was about Ellen's mother. And it's, it's horrific stuff. Shot in the head by the Schenkel butchers and cold blood over some money in an office or whatever else. And he said to me that um, just a few weeks ago, Ellen had been coming out of Mass and had started singing on the way out, and he didn't know she sang, and she was wonderful. And he said to her, Ellen, I didn't know you could sing. And she said, oh, I used to sing all the time until my mother died. 
But I'm starting to sing again. 40 years, not been able to sing. Hurt. And I talked about here, and the people I see as I look out, still hurt and still struggling with the result of the troubles and the traumas of that. Talked about Jonathan and my intern John, who lost his father the day that his mother was going to tell his father that she was pregnant with John in the Jordanstown bomb. Why do I say all that in the context of John chapter 10? Well, I say it all in the context of John chapter 10 because last week's title was about hurting people and a good shepherd who comes. And we're not talking about a little bit of fluff just on a board here. What Katie was saying is a profound truth that it would be wonderful if our children caught at this stage of their lives or that we could catch at this stage of our lives. Into the midst of this hurt comes this passage. Now, this passage, if I had the time to exegete it in the stew that I'm about to do now, John declares who Jesus is right in that prologue at the outset, but the rest of, and particularly this passage, he's talking about who the identity of Jesus is. And that comes in this constant clashing with the Pharisees. Who are you? And right there, we hear in John chapter 10, Jesus is already on the cross. They tried to stone him twice in the passage that Clarence read to us earlier on. But in the midst of all of that identity of who Jesus is and the clash with the Pharisees and the thief coming to steal and kill and destroy and I have come to give you life in all its fullness, there is this image that takes us back to that Psalm 23 and this shepherd, the one of Matthew and Mark. Jesus saw the crowds and they had compassion on them. They were astray. They were without a shepherd and he had compassion on them and he came and they heard his voice. How does Kai hear that voice in America at this time? How does Father Martin's parish hear that voice living in the trauma of many things, including the Shankle Butchers? How do we hear that voice in those of us who know loved ones who have been maimed and killed as a result of all that. But let's take it away from the spectacular. Because if I bring in the, to the stew what I give them the offer of at the start, REM reminds us that everybody hurts sometimes. That we all hurt. I started the sermon last week with my story that I've told a few times here about Jonathan Living as a seagull. Richard Bach's novel may be a little bit Eastern in its influences, but telling us that for other gulls it was eating and sleeping that mattered, but more than anything else, Jonathan Livingston Seagull wanted to fly and live seagullness in all its fullness, and that that's how I decided to follow Jesus, because I wanted life in all its fullness of John chapter 10 and verse 10. And I seamlessly moved that to another thing that I've talked about a few times in sermons in Fitzroy, Philip Yancey's, and it's, I think it's contrived, but it's interesting the way he uses this. Isaiah 40, we will fly on wings like eagles. We will run and not grow faint. We will, not, uh, we will run and not grow weary. We will walk and not faint. If you think about that, Yancey says it's the wrong way around. Why would we fly and then run and then walk? Surely we walk and then run and, well, we don't fly, but you know what I'm saying. And Yancey uses that 
I think perhaps in a contrived way, to talk about our spiritual maturity. When I was 17, I was telling Father Martin this, he'd never heard it before, but he loved it. Arthur Blessed, surely some of you remember Arthur Blessed. Arthur Blessed, and I was telling him this at the airport, and he was dying to use it. And I think, I think there was moments it was nearly on, his, on the tip of uh, Martin's mouth. Uh, Arthur Blessed would be asked at an airport, what is your final destination, sir? And he would say, heaven. Martin loved that. He thought, I've got to use that somewhere on this trip. And every time somebody said to us, Martin would look up and I'd, <laughs> Dayton. <laughs> um, I grew up where, bless it, he, he was a, a bit like the Beatles. He was about six years behind me, but I still was growing up in the influence. So what I did was I stuck little tracks through all the doors of the lockers in Bellamine Academy because everybody was going to get saved the week that I became a Christian because I was flying on wings like eagles. And it wasn't long until I landed because one morning I opened my locker and all of those tracks fell back out at me because everybody had stuck them back into my locker. And I realized it wasn't going to be as easy as flying all the time, that I'd suddenly hit the ground. I was still running. And then somebody passes away at 23 or 24. Or your best friend's father's shot in a bar just because he was in the wrong place. And suddenly you're not even running anymore. You're walking. And I think spiritual maturity is when we get to the point where we're at such empathy with this hurting world around us that we're almost crawling through the mud of the wounds and the scars of our communities. It's not flying most of the time. It's not even running. And sometimes it's hard to even walk in the midst of who we are. Spiritual maturity is maybe when we have even more questions than we used to have. It's certainly having more awareness of a hurt and broken world. But then it's having empathy with that hurt and broken world. And then it's becoming involved as we trudge through in the healing. One of the privileges I had at Calvin, and it was a privilege, was that my best man was there. Um, David Dark was the best man at my wedding, and he's now a writer in the States, and he can fill the, the chapel at Calvin College very easily and come out with some incredible wisdom. And if you have a dictionary, you can even understand some of the wisdom that David's coming out with. Um, and um, Ken, my friend at Calvin, made sure that I was doing chapel at the start of the Festival of Faith and Writing so that David and I would be able to have some time together and I read David's book on the way over in the plane because I had to have it read before I saw him at Calvin and, um, and he talks in, in a part of this book it's called uh, his new book is called Life is Too Short to Not Be Religious and then he explained to us for the first half of a seminar that really it wasn't the best title he could possibly have chosen it'll not get many seals and I'm thinking well why did you not just call it something different but it's an amazing book of all kinds of David's thinking of uh, literature and faith and journey and one of the things he shared in it that really struck me and I don't know I don't think I was preparing for this at the time he would talk about how Thomas Merton became aware of everyone around him he gets a sudden awareness as he was walking down a street somewhere in America of the people walking past him on the road and started to try to become present with them it's a very powerful image of how we need this empathy with the world around us that Jesus had. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd and he had compassion on them. I imagine that when that phrase is said that there was people all around him that he never got to meet individually. But that the good shepherd 
was constantly aware that beside him in a cafe, across him in a restaurant or a bus, or walking down Botanic Avenue alongside him, were human beings experiencing much of the hurting of what life's about. And Merton became aware to at least maybe be praying or thinking or being, uh, having empathy with them. And we know the shepherd's voice. And we listen to the shepherd's voice. And as well as knowing that we're held in the hands of the shepherd like the children were told. The shepherd whispers to us, follow me. And I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. Follow me. The Lord is my shepherd and I lack nothing. That's the caress of this gospel. The Lord is my good shepherd and he brings me life in all its fullness in him, not in anything else. Grace through what he's done for us on the cross and in the resurrection. But then we hear him saying, follow me. The caress of God's grace when he says, as you are, you're loved. And then the collision that says, gave up his life for the sheep. They're sheep without a shepherd. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. The main gist of our entire eight days was this. Have a cup of coffee. What we share in America, have a cup of coffee. If you're a Mormon, orange juice. That was it. And that resonated. Someone told us there'd been a big conference on Martin Luther King Day and they were really hyped at the energy and the inspiration of it and they were saying it then, right, what do we do now? Where's the master plan? And Martin and I were saying, there's no master plan. Have a cup of coffee. Because that's what we did. We had a cup of coffee. And out of a cup of coffee, we had another cup of coffee. And out of that cup of coffee came a festival. And out of that festival came people. Martin was always said, the most successful thing that happens at a Four Corners event is when somebody takes out their phone and says, give me your number. With the possibility that they will have a cup of coffee across the boundaries of Belfast across the corners of Belfast, across the corners of race or economics or political persuasion or hurt. And I suddenly realized that when we get to those verses in Romans chapter 12, and I didn't offer you that in the menu at the start of the stew, when we come to that bit, you know, um, transformed by the renewing of our mind, offering our bodies as living sacrifices, and we get down past that bit and we come to that, that little bit where in this particular letter Paul writes different gifts and he says if your gift is prophesying, if your gift is serving, if your gift is teaching, if your gift is encouraging. And then he comes to the last one. If, you're, if, if your gift is hospitality. And we throw it away. Because it's nearly for the people that can't do the things. If you're not a prophet or a teacher, oh, well then you could, you could be hospitable. What I've come to learn is that's the one. That's the most powerful one. The gift of hospitality that opens a door for somebody. The gift of hospitality that has a coffee with somebody. The gift of hospitality that opens a relationship to somebody. That this is where the shepherd gets close to the sheep. This is where hurting begins to get healed. I'm not going to go into some of the other stuff 
that I was talking about, and I'm not getting any snow patrol this morning. But where we got to, um, if I now shuffle them, then I get into all kinds of confusion, was that, as Tom Wilson, the late Tom Wilson said, the closest thing you're ever going to have to being loved is being listened to. Hospitality. Invite somebody to your table and listen to them. Because that's where Kai's hurt comes out if we listen to her. And in listening then we have empathy. And when we have empathy then, then lay down your life for the sheep. So in the hurting world that we're in as the time flies past and I try to work out what we might take out of this stew. In the hurting world that we live in, in the hurts that are around this community even this morning, but in the hurts that then are in the streets around us, in the hurts that then are in the country beyond that around us, then what are we saying that this shepherd has to say into the midst of that? And how do we get heard into the midst of that? We see those around us as sheep without a shepherd. We stop enough to make them present with us. And then we take time in that gift of hospitality to listen, to really listen. And then maybe, maybe we get a chance to share something, but the listening is the love in itself. But when we share something, maybe, then they hear the words of the shepherd. Then maybe they get to know his voice. And maybe then with the confidence that we say we have this morning, that he is our shepherd and we lack nothing, maybe we begin to be members of the shepherd's team that brings some kind of healing in our broken communities, in our broken lives, and even maybe to Kai and to others across the globe. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you heal our hearts. In the simplicity and yet the profundity of Katie's children's talk, you hold us in your hand. You welcome us through that gate into your flock. You whisper to us and we know your voice. And whatever it is we're going through, you are there in the midst. Bringing shalom to our individual souls in whatever it is we're struggling with. And yet, Lord, there's more in these ideas in John 10 than knowing life in all its fullness within ourselves. Because the next verse says that we give up our lives, lay down our lives for the sheep. May we follow Jesus into that, Lord. May we be those today, right here and now, who offer ourselves, as we were thinking about during our offering, to go back through these doors 
into these hurting streets and city and country. To be prepared to give a gift of hospitality. Oh, it might mean opening the door to our homes, but it might just mean opening the door to our relationship. It might mean just crossing the boundaries of our city and talking to somebody we haven't spoken to before so as we can really listen and really hear. Lord, help us to hear the shepherd's voice. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you into a hurting world. May we go in Jesus' name. Amen.